So we're coming back to 2 Corinthians this morning after quite a long break over the summer. Um, So this is on page 1,149 in our church Bibles. Page 1,149, 2 Corinthians 7 and verse 5. For even when we came into Macedonia... Our bodies had no rest, but we were afflicted at every turn, fighting without and fear within. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus. And not only by his coming, but also by the comfort with which he, is comforted, he was comforted by you, as he told us of your longing your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoiced still more. For even if I made you grieve with my letter, I did not regret it, though I did regret it. For I see that the let, that, let, that, that letter grieved you, though only for a while. As it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief, so that you suffered no loss through us. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. For see what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you, but also what eagerness to clear yourself, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what punishment. At every point you have proved yourselves innocent in the matter. So although I wrote to you, it was not for the sake of the one who did the wrong nor for the sake of the one who suffered the wrong, but in order that your earnestness for us might be revealed to you in the sight of God. Therefore, we are comforted. And besides our own comfort, we rejoiced still more at the joy of Titus, because his spirit has been refreshed by you all. For whatever boasts I made to him about you, I was not put to shame. But just as everything we said to you was true, so also our boasting before Titus proved true. And his affection for you is even greater as he remembers the obedience of you all, how you received him with fear and trembling. I rejoice because I have complete confidence in you. So please keep your Bible open and let's just come to God now in prayer. Almighty God, we thank you for the fact that you are a great God and a God who speaks to us. And we thank you for your word. And we pray now that as we consider your word, you will help us to hear what you're saying to us. And Lord, we pray that if there's any way in which we need to repent or any way in which we need to change our thinking or our behavior, uh, we pray that you'll bring us to our attention. And we pray, Lord, that if we need to be encouraged, we'll be encouraged. We'll know you speaking to us very clearly and very strongly, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you have 
ever been exposed very much to true Bible preaching, you should be aware that to repent is absolutely vital if you are going to be a Christian. And having become a Christian, you need to continue repenting of your sin on a daily basis in order to stay healthy as a Christian. You cannot have eternal life if you do not repent of your sin. It's either keep your sin and lose life, lose eternal life, or lose your sin, say goodbye to your sin, and gain eternal life. Remember what Jesus said, unless a man denies himself and take up his cross, he cannot be my disciple. And even once you're converted, if you start to cherish sin, and you don't repent quickly of sin when you fall into sin, then your Christian life is liable to, uh, to, to nosedive and to get into very serious problems. Now, one problem that many people have is that they don't properly understand what repentance is. Uh, some, influenced by Roman Catholic teaching, think that repentance is making amends or making payment for your sins. And that's because of the Roman Catholic idea of a very similar word, sounding word, which is do penance. So a good Catholic will go to see the priest and the priest will say, well, yes, you've sinned, but you can be forgiven. Now as a penance, you need to recite 20 Hail Marys or you need to say Our Father a hundred times or something like that. To, to pay for your sins. No, that's not repentance. Or some people think that to repent means to feel miserable. Well, true repentance, as we'll see, does involve sorrow. But it's got to be the right sort of sorrow. Sometimes people think, oh, I'm feeling really low. I'm feeling really down. I'm feeling really miserable. So that must mean I'm repentant. Not necessarily. You can feel very miserable and yet still not repent. So it's really important that we properly understand what it means to repent of sin. Now, that's where this passage is really helpful. Because what this passage describes is a church which was showing real signs of real repentance. So as Paul describes the church in Corinth and how the, this church in Corinth was showing signs of repentance, we can learn from this about the sorts of things that should be present in our lives if we are truly repentant of our sins. And it, it can act as a sort of a checklist for us to try to help, to help us to see whether we really are uh, truly repentant or not. Now, the context uh, of these verses is that Paul uh, had, had been urging the believers to show to him the same sort of love that he had been showing to them. If you go back to chapter 6 and verse 12, or verse 11, he says, uh, he says to, about them, he says, our heart is wide open to, to, to you. You know, you'd really love them. But they're restricted in their afflictions for him. And he, but he urged them to, to open up their hearts to him as well. And then, chapter 6 verse 14 through to chapter 7 verse 1 he, bring, he, brought, he brings out one reason why they were so restricted in their affections for the apostle which is that they 
were forming ungodly alliances and associations with unbelievers. And he urges them not to form wrong associations with unbelievers. And then in chapter 7, verse 2, he comes back to this theme of, of, of the love that he urges them to have for him as, as their apostle. Verse 2, make room for us in your hearts. We've wronged no one. We've corrupted no one. Uh, we've we've taken, taken advantage of no one. And uh, so he urges them, look, come on, please, show to me the sort of love that, you, that I have shown to you. Now that then leads us him into this section here where he talks to them about how encouraged he was by the fact that that uh, that they were uh, repentant. Now um, we can divide this section into this passage into four sections. It seems to me. First of all, we can see we see from verses six to eight. Paul's deep concern that maybe these believers in Corinth were not repentant. And he was deeply troubled by that. So that's verses 6 to 8. And then he talks in verses 9 and 10 about the, the godly sorrow, the godly grief which the believers were showing He'd heard about them showing through Titus. He heard that, that they were demonstrating in their lives. And, and uh, a true godly sorrow is against a worldly sorrow. So that's verses 9 and 10. Then he talks in, verses, in verse 11 about the, the marks of repentance that they were showing. And then in verses 12 to 15... He speaks about how Titus and also Paul the Apostle uh, were encouraged through uh, the repentance that they were showing. So let's, let's uh, look at these verses together. Then. First of all, we see then the concern expressed that these uh, believers in Corinth were not, might not be repentant. He says in verse 5, even when we came into Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, but we were afflicted at every turn, fighting without and fear within. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus, and not only by his coming, but also by the comfort with which he was comforted by you, as he told us of your longing your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoiced still more. And even if I made you grieve with my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it, for I see that that letter grieved you, though only for a while. So Paul here talks about the deep distress and concern that he was feeling. And what was, what was this? Well, no doubt part of it was because he had so much suffering that was involved in being a preacher of the gospel. He had so much opposition, so much difficulty, and so much heartache as he tried to proclaim the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. But part of it was because he was very concerned for the believers in Corinth. Because he'd written them a letter in which he had had to very strongly rebuke them for their sin. Now, there's a question about what what letters being referred to. Some people suggest that between 1 and 2 Corinthians, there was, a, there was a, a letter which has gone missing. And that was this letter, and they think that's the letter that Paul is referring to here. That, God, that, that, that Paul wrote a very stiff letter to them and uh, confronted them about something or other. 
But it seems to me there's no need to suggest that there was some missing letter between 1 and 2 Corinthians. It seems to me that this is very obviously referring back to his first letter, 1 Corinthians. Because in 1 Corinthians he'd had to rebuke them for a number of serious abuses in the church and particularly for the fact that a member of the church had been uh, committed, had committed adultery by going with his father's wife. Not only adultery, but also incest. And the church had been tolerating this. And so he had to rebuke the church very, very strongly. And so what he's talking about here, I believe, is that in, 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 is that he's referring here in, in, in chapter in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 7 back to that letter, that first letter to the Corinthians. And what was distressing him? He was thinking, I wonder if they have accepted my rebuke. Maybe they've hardened their hearts. Maybe they've refused to listen to what I'm thinking about. What, 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 what I challenged them about. And what concerned him was that if that had happened, the church would have become entrenched in its sin. The church would have fallen out of favor with God, would have come under the discipline of God. And also his own relationship with that church would have been broken. And so he's very, very concerned, he, and, and he's very, very concerned for the church, very concerned for his brothers and sisters there in Corinth. And uh, as he says there, he, he, he's sort of half wondered, did I do the right thing to challenge them? Perhaps I shouldn't have done that. Now, of course, um, Today, if we ran, if Paul was living today, he'd have just sent them a quick text or WhatsApp message or something like that. Is everything okay? Are you not, not offended with my letter? But of course, or picked up the phone, are you all right? You know, you hope everything's all right with you and Lot in Corinth. But of course, in those days, there was no direct communication. If you, if you wanted to send a letter, you had to give that letter to a particular person. That person had to take that letter in person. Or if you wanted to find out how somebody was, you'd have to go, you'd have to send a messenger to find out and speak to them and then wait for that messenger to come back. So what Paul did was to send Titus to this church in Corinth and to find out from to, to, and he sent Titus to find out what was going on and to find out how the church was and then when Titus came back he had immense relief to find that yes they had accepted his letter yes they had repented yes they were they were grateful to Paul for, for what he'd written they, they weren't angry with him and indeed they, they'd 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 repented of the wrong that they'd done by tolerating this sin in their midst. Now what can we learn from these, these first few verses? I think we can learn that love is costly. If you're going to have real love for people, that's going to lead to concern. It's going to lead to prayer. It might lead sometimes to sleepless nights. It might lead to to, uh, to a deeply troubled conscience, deeply troubled soul. It would have been very easy for Paul to sort of say, oh, well, those, those people, I don't, you know, they want to make a mess of their lives, I'll forget about them. No, but he didn't do that. He loved them intensely. And he prayed, no doubt, he praying, oh God, please let them receive my letter. Please let them repent. Please let them do the right thing. Praying, 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 praying. And that's a great example to us. It's an example to me. It's an example to us all, isn't it? That we should have that love that really does care. 
and really is troubled if people fall into sin and, and really does uh, wrestle with God until they, they follow the Lord properly. Well now then, let's go on then to, to consider then the, the true grief, the godly grief that these people showed. So we read now in verses 9 and 10. So we're in, in, for anybody who's wondering where we are, we're in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, page 1149. And we come now to verses 8 and 9. He says, For even if I made you grieve with my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, for I see that that letter grieved you, though only for a while. As it is, I rejoice, not because you are grieved, but because you are grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief, so that you suffered no loss through us. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. Now, you see here in these verses, Paul talks about two types of grief, or the NIV translates it, two types of sorrow. There is a, a godly sorrow that leads to repentance. But there's also worldly sorrow which just leads to death. So let's think about these two types of sorrow. Well, he, the godly sorrow is the godly sorrow where you... A godly sorrow is where what really upsets you is not so much that you have harmed yourself through your sin. What really upsets you, is if you've got this godly sorrow, is you're upset by the fact that you've offended God. That you've offended the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. You've offended against God's majesty and God's glory and God's holiness. We had an example of that in Isaiah that we read earlier at the beginning of our service. Isaiah saw the holiness of God. And he said, woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. And I dwell amongst among people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the Lord, the King. Got another example of it. Do you remember when, when Peter um, uh, had got, when Jesus enabled Peter to do a, a great miraculous catch of fish? And Peter saw the, when that catch of fish came in, Peter saw the majesty and the glory of Christ. Do you remember what Peter said? He said, depart from me, Lord, because I'm a sinner. He was alarmed. He was horrified at his sinfulness. He had a godly sorrow. Now, uh, Paul says that this sort of godly sorrow is a good sorrow. Look at verse 9. As it is, I rejoice because you were grieved. Not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief, so that you suffered no loss through us. And then look at verse 10. For godly grief produces repentance that leads to salvation. So this is a, this is a, a God-directed grief. A grief that comes from concern about having offended against God. And it leads to repentance. And it says it doesn't need to regret. Now, in other words, it doesn't lead to a sort of morbid sense of, oh, my life is so miserable. It's rather, it, the sadness is about how the person has offended against God. Now, compare that with worldly grief. 
He says, end of verse 10, whereas worldly grief produces death. If you've got this worldly grief, it's not that you're worried about having hurt God. What you're worried about is that your life is not as happy as it might be. You're not worried about your sin in the sense you've offended against God. You're worried about, oh, I've missed out. I could have had a happier life. I could have had an easier life. That sort of sorrow doesn't lead to repentance, doesn't lead to a new life. If anything, that sort of sorrow leads to a sort of paralysis. You sort of sit there in a heap, feeling sorry for yourself. You don't change anything, you just feel miserable. And perhaps if anything, you want to harm yourself. So he says it produces death. Rather than producing spiritual life, this sort of worldly sorrow produces death. Now, we can, we can think of examples of this in the Bible. Think about, for example, Esau. Esau, remember the brother of Jacob, he sold his birthright to, to Jacob. Now, afterwards, it says he regretted it. He regretted it with tears. He was miserable. But did he repent? Answer, No. He was miserable for the fact he didn't have the riches that he would have had. He didn't have the blessing that he would have had. But it didn't occur to him that he defended against God. He didn't go to God and say, God, I've sinned. Forgive me. If he had, he could have known forgiveness. He might not have had the birthright restored, but he would have known forgiveness and he would have known God's blessing. But he didn't do that. He just had a worldly sorrow. Or think of Saul, King Saul who at various points in time said, I've sinned, I've done wrong. He felt miserable. But did he repent? Did he stop chasing after David? No. Did he say, come to God and say, God, I've sinned, forgive me for my sins? No. Or think of the, um, the Simon, the sorcerer. In, as recorded in Acts chapter 8. And uh, he thought he could buy the gift of God with money. And Peter confronted him. He said, you have no lot in this ministry. Repent, because I see your heart is not right before God. And he said, pray that this will not happen to me. He didn't repent. Tradition has it that he went on to carry on practicing his magic. But perhaps the biggest example of all is Judas Iscariot. He sold Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. Now, when he, later on, he regretted it. He wished he hadn't have done it. And, uh, it, and um, in Matthew chapter 27 and verse 3, it says, when Judas, his betrayer, saw that Jesus was condemned, our translation says he changed his mind and brought the money back, brought back the, the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests. Now, the word that you've got there is that same word we've got here of regret. There's regret there, but there's not repentance. He didn't repent. He was miserable of the fact he'd ruined his life and he then went on to commit suicide. But he did not repent. He could have repented and he could have had forgiveness. But he didn't do so. And so we see here, it's very important not to confuse misery, human misery, with true sorrow for sin. Sometimes people... Confuse what we would now nowadays call depression for repentance. They say, "Ah, oh, so and so is feeling really miserable. He's got a broken heart." Now, not necessarily. He might be just feeling really sorry for himself. 
as he experiences the, res the results of his sin, but he hasn't come to God, necessarily. It's very important to make the distinction between godly grief, which is concern for having broken God's law and offended against God, as against worldly grief, which is basically sorrow for yourself. So let me ask you some questions to help you, perhaps, to, and me to diagnose, as it were, whether we have real godly grief or whether we have worldly grief. First question to ask yourself is, have you ever grieved for your sin at all? Maybe you don't even know what grief for sin is at all in any shape, way, shape or form. You're quite happy, H-A-P-P-Y, quite happy to be a Christian, quite happy to, to believe in God. And you've never really known any sense of grief for sin. Well, if that's the case, it really is questionable whether you are a Christian. Of course, different Christians have different intensity. Some people experience a really strong, very profound conviction of sin, particularly in times of revival. You might not have had this overwhelming, crushing sense of, of, of conviction of sin that's gone on for week after week, month after month, where you feel utterly despairing of yourself uh, because you are, you are so aware of how you've offended against God. But you've never felt any conviction of sin. I ask you, are you really a Christian? There must be some element. In, it's part of of repentance is going to be some element at least of grief for sin. The next thing is what actually upsets you? Are you upset because you've offended against God or are you upset because your life is not going to be as happy as you might have as it might have been? So for example, maybe you you commit sexual, immor sexual immorality and you, you then perhaps get a sexually transmitted disease and you feel miserable. But what are you miserable about? Are you miserable about the fact you've got that sexually transmitted disease and your life is now not going to be as healthy as it might have been? Or are you miserable? I've offended against God. Now it could be God could use that disease to, to awaken a conviction of sin in you. That's true. But be care, beware in case it is simply a worldly sorrow. And then next thing, next question to ask you yourself, what does your sorrow lead you to? Does your sorrow lead you to say, right, I'm going I'm to go to God I'm going to pray to God, I'm going to ask for forgiveness, I'm going to stop doing the wrong thing I was doing, and I'm going to start to live a new way. Well, that's godly sorrow. But, or does your sorrow lead you to just a paralysis? Oh, I feel so low. I feel so miserable. I don't really want to do anything. Well, be careful. That may well be worldly sorrow rather than godly sorrow. Okay, so there we are then. Uh, we see then in these people this, this, this godly sorrow. Now then, next thing we see is uh, how true repentance shows itself. So let's come back to um, 2 Corinthians, if you've gone away to look at the cross-reference. And let's come back and look at now at verses 11 and 12. For see what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you, but also what earnestness to clear yourself, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what punishment. At every point you've proved yourselves innocent in this matter. So although I wrote to you, it was not for the sake of the one who did the wrong, nor for the sake of the one who suffered the wrong, but in order that your earnestness for us might be revealed to you in the sight of God. Now, so what Paul is saying here is that he's heard the report 
from Titus that this church in Corinth had repented. You see, the sin of was, when, we, when this man in Corinth committed a, a, a incest with his father, that was a great sin. But the really terrible thing was that the whole church had tolerated it. So the whole church, in a sense, was implicated in the sin of that man. And until Paul wrote to them, they'd been quite happy. They'd just been sort of, they'd been more or less like boasting. Oh, look how, look how tolerant we are. Look what a great church we are. We can, we can handle this sort of sin in our midst. And it was only when Paul confronted them with his letter that they then realized just how terrible his sin was. Their, their sin was. And so he, then, he mentions various marks then that he's heard from Titus uh, characterize the church now once they'd received his letter. Earnestness. Verse 11. See what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you. Someone who's repentant is going to be earnest. It's going to be serious. Now, of course, you can be, we know we can be overly serious and sort of morbid and you know, utter miseries and, you know, going around like gloomy so-and-sos. Of course, that's the case. And that, that, that you know, we, 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 we can, as Christians, know a joy and a peace in the Lord. But there should be a seriousness about us. We've offended against the Almighty God. We deserve to go to hell. We've been saved from that by God's grace. But we should never forget just how terrible our sin has been. We should never forget the terrible price that was paid for our sin. We should never forget how, how serious it is in its consequences. You know, uh, it's a terrible thing when people crack jokes about sexual sin, for example, or crack jokes about, oh, I, w- I went down to the, to the boozer on, at the weekend, I got plastered, as though it was some fun thing, and some, you know, as though it's something to be proud about. No, that's not a joke, getting drunk. It's a terrible thing. We should have an earnestness, a seriousness about us. If we're repentant, there will be that seriousness. And then he says, eagerness to clear yourselves. Now, the actual Greek word there is the word from which we get our word apology. They wanted to make good where they'd gone wrong. Oh, tell Paul, we're so sorry for the way that we, we, we'd messed things up. Tell him how we've, we've tried to put things right. And of course, they'd, they'd previously no doubt gone to God and they said, Oh God, forgive us for, for the terrible way that we have, we've allowed this, 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 this sin to be tolerated in our midst. And then you get the word indignation. It's, it's almost like a word like anger, isn't it? It's, it's sort of, well, that's terrible. And they were indignant. Yeah, well, they were indignant with the man who'd sinned, but they were indignant with ourselves. How did we allow that to happen? That's terrible that we did that. Indignant. And then the next word is fear. They had a fear of God. What if God were to discipline us? What if our relationship with God was to be damaged? Oh no, that would be terrible. And then longing. They long to be like Christ. Oh, to have that pure heart. Oh, to be more like Jesus. Oh, to to hate sin. Oh, to have that, that desire for God. A longing. Oh, if only we weren't still committing these sins. You know, that 
you know, that, that sense in the end of Romans 7. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Oh, if only I didn't sin anymore. Longing. Zeal. They were passionate about dealing with sin. They, 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 they went after sin. If they heard about any sin in their lives, well, they, were, they would chase it down. That's like somebody, you know, like a, like a, 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 like a, a, um, a dog will run after a fox and keep on going, chase down that fox. So they would chase down sin and, and, and not allow sin to, to rest in their lives. Zeal. And then punishment. Oh, that's strange. Punishment? But surely Christ has borne the punishment for our sins. Well, yes, indeed. And of course, as Christians, Bible-believing Christians, we don't do what the Catholics do, you know, where they would whip themselves with thong, you know, with, 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 with uh, you know, to try to stop themselves. No, no, of course not. But inevitably, if you're a true Christian, if you truly repent of your sin, you will, in a sense, punish yourself. You can't help it. Why did I do that silly thing? Oh. You feel this, this, this pain and you, you remember it. I, get, there, I can remember things, or I get stabbed even today of things that I did when I was 18 years old. This is pain. Oh. Maybe you feel that sometimes. And it's not that you deliberately go out of your way to do so, but, but the awareness that you've sinned against God and the harm you've caused to other people, it grieves you. And, you, you, and in a sense, you punish yourself for it. You, you can't stop yourself from doing so because you're aware of your sin. And Paul says that, that these signs produced evidence of repentance in them. So he says in verse, uh, verse 12, he says, Although I wrote to you, it was not for the sake of those who, uh, the one who did wrong, nor for the sake of the one who suffered the wrong, but in order that your earnestness might be revealed to you in the sight of God. He wrote that letter. It was a painful letter for them. In order that they might be, it might be clear that they were repentant. He did it in order to bring out from them these marks of repentance. Now let me ask you this question. Do you see these marks in your life? Is there the fruit of repentance in you? Do you see that God has worked in you? You need to examine yourself. Is there real repentance? Because, you know, if you're not repentant, if, if you have not repented of your sins, then you're not born again. You're not a Christian. So you need to ask yourself, is there this other these marks now as I, said, as I said before different people will have different intensity of these things some people will have overwhelming experiences of these things others will will have will will feel it much less intensely for various reasons because of psychological makeup because of spiritual sensitivity and because of you know the extent to which one sinned obviously the more one has sinned the more one will be aware of these sorts of of, of, of pain but if there's no conviction at all if there's no none of these things that are mentioned here then it, it really should be a matter for for really quite some concern now then we come then to how repentance is encouraging for others and we look at verses 13 to 16 he says therefore we are comforted and besides our own comfort, we rejoice still more at the joy of Titus, because his spirit has been refreshed by you all. For whatever boasts I made to him about you, I was not put to shame. 
But just as everything we said to you was true, so also our boasting before Titus has proved true. And his affection for you is, is even greater as he remembers the obedience of you all, how you received him with fear and trembling. I rejoice because I have complete confidence in you. So he says, we're comforted. Now that word that's used there, you might remember from chapter one when we thought about this, also means encouraged. Parakala, call alongside. He is encouraged, comforted. He has joy because, yes, these believers are, they've responded to that word. Paul was encouraged, Titus was encouraged, the church as a whole will have been encouraged. And we know from other scriptures as well, not only do other saints rejoice when you repent, but God himself rejoices. Remember how Jesus said, there's rejoicing in heaven before the angels of God when one sinner repents. Now, sometimes people say, oh, the angels rejoice. Well, I'm sure the angels do rejoice, but it's not just the angels rejoicing. It says there is rejoicing in heaven before the angels. Who's doing the rejoicing? The Father is rejoicing. As that sinner repents. So, If you do repent of your sin, this will do great good. It will bless your brothers and sisters. It will bless the church. And indeed, it will bring about rejoicing in the heart of God. So, just to conclude then, uh, we've been thinking then about how this passage teaches us about real repentance. Now we've seen how Paul was, had this genuine love and desire for the believers there that he longed that they would repent. And of course, this is a reflection of God's own heart that Peter says he's patient with you, not, not wanting anyone to perish, but longing that all should come to repentance. And we've seen that real repentance involves a godly sorrow as against a worldly sorrow. We've seen some of the marks of that repentance in terms of attitude towards one's life. And we've seen how repentance encourages believers and also brings joy to God's heart. Now, it's so important that each of us who's in this room should know, have I really repented of my sin? Because if you've not repented of your sin, you're not a Christian. So, test yourself. The scripture, later on in this, chat, in this letter, Paul says, test yourself to see whether you're of the faith. Test yourself. Ask yourself. Do you have what is described here? Do you have this, this godly sorrow? As against worldly sorrow. Do you have this, this transformed attitude towards your life, whereby you... You have this, this, this you're, you're horrified by the sin that you've committed and you, you really want to, to be rid of that sin. If your answer is yes, well then give thanks to God. He's given you the gift of repentance. Rejoice in his salvation. And keep on repenting. Don't just say, oh, well, I repented of my sins 20 years ago when I became a Christian, and that's it, I'm done now, I've repented. No. Each day, examine yourself and look for fresh, fresh signs of sin in your life and repent again and repent again and repent again. Keep on repenting. But what if, maybe somebody here, you have to say in all honesty, you know what? 
Now you've described what repentance is. I'm not sure I have ever repented of my sins. Well, what should you do if that's the case? Well, go to God. Ask God to show your sin. Ask him to convict you of your sin. But also there's things that you can do to help that prayer to be answered. Think about God and his majesty and his holiness and his glory. Study his law. Go to the Ten Commandments. Study those, the Ten Commandments. Go to the Sermon on the Mount. Read the teaching of Jesus. Go to the, to the moral teaching in the letters. Ask God to, as you study these things, ask God to reveal your heart, to show to you your sin. Another helpful thing to do is to consider the judgment that is coming. Consider how the holiness of God is going to require payment for sin on that day. But most of all, go to Christ. Look at Jesus hanging on that cross. Realize that your sin was so serious and the sin of others was so serious that the only way that it could be paid for was through Jesus dying in agony on the cross, bearing the wrath of God against sin. Go to him. Ask and, 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 and ask God to open up your eyes. And when you do start to be aware that you're a sinner, don't suppress that. Don't say, oh no, I'm alright, I've never done anything. No. Like that psalm says, don't be like a, a, a stubborn mule or stubborn donkey that refuses to acknowledge your sin. Humble yourself. Say, yes, I am a sinner. Yes, I have done wrong. And come to God for forgiveness. Well, I hope that's helpful for us. We're going to sing for our last hymn, number 682, which is a prayer. Uh, Jesus, lover of my soul, let me to your bosom fly. And, you know, there's some quite strong um, confessions, statement here. Some people don't like these, this hymn because it's, it's it, it, like for instance end of verse 3 I am all unworthiness false and full of sin I am but that's the truth that's the reality may God give us grace to confess these things to God so we can remain seated as we sing this prayer to God let's pray now